The goal point for re-entry is 2,990 miles from where we want Colonel Glenn to land. If we assume that's the Bahamas, 544 miles per hour of 46.56 degrees, 2,990 miles. Okay, so that puts your landing zone at five. 0.0667 degrees north, 77.3333 degrees west, which is here. Give or take 20 square miles. I like your numbers. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Emma and welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 204, Hidden Figures. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And welcome to Verbal Diorama, whether you're a brand new listener, welcome back to Verbal Diorama if you're a regular returning listener. Thank you, as always, so much for being here, for choosing to listen to this podcast. I'm genuinely so happy to have you here for the history and legacy of Hidden Figures. And this is a movie that I've wanted to cover for such a long time, and I'm finally getting round to doing it. As I said last episode, this month, I'm trying to focus a little bit more on women in film. And when I first saw the movie Hidden Figures, I was completely enthralled by the true story of these incredible African-American women and how important they were to the US space race. It's a story that should have been told. It's a story that we all should have known about, and we didn't until this movie came along. And I'm so excited to talk about it. And also, while I'm here, just a huge thank you for the wonderful reception to previous episodes of this podcast. To the joint episode that I did on Hot Rod and Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping, and the previous episode on Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Uh, what a joy it was to cover three totally different comedy movies. So Hot Rod slapstick comedy pop star never stop never stopping is a mockumentary and gentlemen prefer blondes well it's just a classic comedy all classics actually in their own way although i mean arguably you might not say hot rod and pop star are classics but i think they are i think they're genuinely that good and also the first appearance from marilyn monroe on this podcast was always going to be a little bit special and i really wanted to focus on marilyn and I didn't want to do it to the detriment of Jane Russell. So I hope that you think that I didn't sort of take over that episode too much and focus too much on Marilyn because Jane Russell is absolutely paramount to the success of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. But it's honestly such a fun episode to do. And really, we're going from one Dorothy, and by that I mean Queen of Sass, Dorothy Shaw, to another Dorothy and another absolute queen in Dorothy Vaughan. And her real-life counterparts, Katherine Johnson and Mary Jackson, their stories remained not exactly hidden, but just not as well known as other stories coming out of NASA in the 1960s 
during the space race between the US and the Soviet Union. But just like most stories during that time, it is one of racial inequality, gender discrimination, and pure and simple black excellence that we just never knew about. So without further ado, let's just jump straight in to the trailer for Hidden Figures. Y'all gonna end up unemployed riding around in this pile of junk. You're welcome to walk the 16 miles. Oh, I'll sit in the back of the bus. Kiss me up. You have identification on you? NASA, sir. NASA? I had no idea they hired There are quite a few women working in the space program. Least I can do is give y'all an escort. Three Negro women are chasing a white police officer down the highway in 1961. That is a God-ordained miracle. In 14 days, astronauts will be here for training. And we're shooting a human into space, and it's never been done before. With the launch of the Russian spy satellite, the president is demanding an immediate response. Running from the man. Space test group needs a computer. Catherine's the gal for that. She can handle any numbers you put in front of her. You and I are different from each other. This is about inventing the math, because without it, we're not going anywhere. Yes, sir. That's John Glenn. What do you guys do for NASA? Calculate your launch and landing site. How could you be ugly in these white men? It's equal rights. I have the right to see fine in every color. Oh, if you were a white male, would you wish to be an engineer? I wouldn't have to. I'd already be one. Yes, it's an uphill battle. Get it. I don't know if I can keep up in that room. Just make that pencil move as fast as your mind does. You've been gone for 300 hours. It felt like it to me, too. Colonel Glenn launches in a few weeks. We don't have the math figured out yet. There's no protocol for women attending. There's no protocol for a man circling the Earth either, sir. Every time we have a chance to get ahead, they move the finish line. I need to be in that room hearing what you hear. Within these walls, who makes the rules? You, sir, you are the boss. You just have to act like one, sir. We all get there together, we don't get there at all. We're in the fight of our lives, people. My gals are ready. We can do the work. More than 50 million Americans watching. I got a warning light. Go find Catherine. Colonel Glenn. There's a real fireball outside. It's getting a little hot in here. Noble Johnson, Dorothy Vaughan, and Mary Jackson are three brilliant African-American women working at NASA in the early 1960s, which is segregated by race and gender. Catherine is assigned to assist the space task group, given her expertise in analytic geometry, and calculates the trajectories for John Glenn's pioneering spaceflight. Mary applies for a NASA engineering position, but is told she requires additional qualifications, which she fights for in court and wins the right to attend an all-white school. Dorothy is doing the work of a supervisor without receiving the credit or paycheck of a supervisor and learns of the new IBM electronic computers NASA are installing. She sets out to learn how to program them. Individually, all three women excel in their fields and a man finally orbits the Earth in a NASA spaceship and returns safely. Let's, as always, run through the cast. We have Taraji P. Henson as Catherine Goebel Johnson, Octavia Spencer as Dorothy Vaughan, Janelle Monet as Mary Jackson, Kevin Costner as Al Harrison, Kirsten Dunst as Vivian Mitchell, Jim Parsons as Paul Stafford, Mahershala Ali as Jim Johnson, Aldis Hodge as Levi Jackson, 
Glenn Powell as John Glenn and Kimberly Quinn as Ruth. Hidden Figures has a screenplay by Alison Schroeder and Theodore Melfi. It is based on Hidden Figures, the American dream and the untold story of the black women who helped win the space race by Margot Lee Shetterly and was directed by Theodore Melfi. More than half a century after NASA launched astronauts into space, you'd think all the stories about these groundbreaking missions had been told. And there have been several movies based on true stories like Apollo 13 and First Man. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walked on the moon on the 20th of July 1969. And since then, humans in space and the stories of the people on the ground helping them navigate and return safely has been an integral source of inspiration for cinema, both factual and fictional. But there was one story that remained untold. That of the women of NASA, specifically the African-American women working as computers before actual computers as we know it existed. These women were mathematicians capable of complex calculations necessary for sending American rockets into space. These three women were not the only women responsible for the success of the space missions. Not only the black women, and as depicted in the movie, there were also white women working at landing as computers, mathematicians calculating both the important information for NASA's rivalry with the Soviet Union's space program after the Soviets beat the US into space in 1957 with Sputnik 1. But it became obvious to writer Margot Lee Shetterly that the story of the women of NASA was largely one that while as I said, not hidden per se, because local people knew of these stories, it was largely a story that remained untold, mostly due to the fact that these women just viewed themselves as nothing special. They were just women doing their jobs. But the scope and extent of these women was unknown until recently. Margot Lee Shetterly grew up in Hampton, Virginia. Her father worked at NASA as a research scientist, and many in the community had links to NASA with grandparents, parents and siblings who worked for NASA. To the community, this was normal. Shetterly's father reportedly worked with many of the women featured in Shetterly's book, a book that Shetterly would start researching in 2010. And this book focuses on four women in NASA, three mathematicians, Katherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughan and Mary Jackson, and Christine Darden, who was the first African-American woman to be promoted into the senior executive service for her work in researching supersonic flight and sonic booms. It's not known exactly why Christine Darden wasn't featured or mentioned in the movie Hidden Figures, but as the story focuses on John Glenn's orbit, it's likely the work of Darden could easily be featured, especially as she worked NASA post-1961. Margot Lee Shetterly stated in an interview with the website Collect Space, quote, This is capital H history. It happens to be told through the eyes of these protagonists who are African-American women. Or you could say this is capital H history that happens to be told through the eyes of a bunch of mathematicians. This is history that happens to be told from the point of view of people who became a space program. But it's all capital H American history, unquote. Margot Lee Shetterly's book was optioned before it was finished. It would actually be published in September 2016, three months before this film premiered. It was optioned in 2014 after producer Donna Gigliotti realised its potential immediately. This was the year before the hashtag Oscars So White, after all 20 acting nominations were given to white actors at the 2015 Academy Awards. But Gigliotti was fully aware of what it's like as a woman succeeding in a male-dominated environment. She understood the tenaciousness necessary to survive in a workplace dominated by men. And when a book proposal landed on her desk in the Vantine films, 
a 55-page proposal written by Margot Lee Shetterly. She read it and was immediately aghast. How did no one know this story? She thought it was her own personal ignorance. And so she called around some well-educated, intelligent people, and none of them knew about it either. She was working with Whoopi Goldberg at the time, doing an ADR session, and asked Whoopi Goldberg to read the proposal. Not only did Whoopi Goldberg also not know the story, she insisted Gigliotti make this movie. She also insisted on being in it, but obviously that never materialised. Donna Gigliotti tended to make movies with women front and centre. She'd already made Shakespeare in Love, Silver Linings Playbook and The Reader, all featuring strong women and all nominated for Academy Awards for Best Picture. Shakespeare in Love obviously winning, and the idea of a movie with three black women meant that she felt like she found her calling, and she just had to option it. She called Margot Lee Shetterly and told her this was going to be made into a movie, and Lee Shetterly agreed to share her research with the production, and when Anish and Schroeder pitched to write the screenplay, Gigliotti asked why. Schroeder was a maths and engineering graduate of Stanford, whose mother, father and grandmother worked at NASA. Schroeder herself had interned for four summers at NASA, so this woman knew her stuff, and it was important that facts and figures were correct. But if they were going to make a movie, they needed to find a director. Theodore Melfi wanted to do it and eventually signed on the dotted line. Shortly after, Barbara Streisand expressed an interest in returning to the director's chair. It had been almost 20 years since her last feature film, The Mirror Has Two Faces, but Streisand fell in love with the story of Hidden Figures. She was sent the script and said yes to directing, but at that point, Melfi was already on board. Streisand would lament not finding out about the project earlier. By this point, Hidden Figures was generating buzz in Hollywood and Pharrell Williams wanted on board to produce, score the film and produce the musical numbers. He would call Donna Gigliotti and sing to her down the phone. Williams would end up producing, songwriting and composing alongside Hans Zimmer. And he understood the assignment and also acquiesced to the strength, intelligence and tenacity of the women in the production. He would say in an interview, quote, I'm just so proud of Fox and Churning Entertainment and Donna Gigliotti, all of us being able to come together to help lift these women's stories to visibility. It's very rare. Like I said, you've met smart African-American women. You went to school with girls who excelled. And they did that without an inspirational system of mentors and figures who looked like them. That's what's so beautiful to me about this film. I love that their story was able to be told. Because we know those women, but we never get to see them on the silver screen. And there's a lot of women who came together to make this story happen. Unquote. Director Theodore Melfi may not be a name on everyone's lips, but he could have been. He was in serious consideration by Sony and Marvel Studios for the inaugural Spider-Man MCU joint studio venture which would become the wildly successful Spider-Man Homecoming. Melfi withdrew himself from consideration in order to take on hidden figures. Instead of one superhero story, he got three superheroes, this time real-life women. Everyone had seen Spider-Man before, but no one had seen or knew of these women. He wanted to do right by the story and getting the blessing of Katherine Johnson herself, and so he visited her when she was 97, interview her, chat to her, and also picked up lines that would be used in the movie. Theodore Melfi's previous movie, St. Vincent, had been produced by Peter Chernin. He saw the script for Hidden Figures and asked to send it to Fox's Elizabeth Gabler. Two of the studios had shown interest at that point, but it felt right to be at Fox 2000 as a lower-budget film with high potential as an awards nominee. Gigliotti wanted a few things. For Fox 2000 to greenlight her movie, for it to be released in December 2016, which would make it eligible for awards recognition, 
and for it to go wide in January 2017. The fact it was greenlit just before Oscars So White made the project even more important and prevalent. These were women that had overcome racial prejudice, sexism and adversity, done remarkable work to get John Glenn into space and had never been publicly recognised for it. Their time was now. Gigliotti would say she was unconvinced that Oscars So White changed the Academy's opinion and opened the door for more diverse stories in Hollywood at the time. She would say in an interview with Deadline, quote, The Academy took a lot of flack for the Oscars this year, and I have to say, as a member of the Academy for nearly 25 years, while it's very white, male-dominated, I really don't think that's the problem. I think it's an employment issue. Until women and people of colour are in high-ranking positions in the room, I don't think anything is going to change. The only way to do it is you have to go and do what I just did. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm not special. Everyone in the world saw the proposal for hidden figures. Nobody paid attention to it except me. Because why would they? Who in their right mind would think that developing a movie about three black mathematicians working at NASA in 1962 would be an easy proposition? It's women, it's a period piece, they're African-American. There's a million reasons why you wouldn't do it. It takes individuals to take it into their own hands. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make movies like this and I will do it in such a way that they become attractive in terms of the whole package so that nobody can deny them, unquote. After joining the crew, Melfi reworked Schroeder's script with an emphasis on combining the three protagonists' personal life with their professions at NASA. Oprah Winfrey, Viola Davis, Octavia Spencer and Taraji P. Henson were all considered for the lead roles after the movie's development was announced, with Spencer contacting Gigliotti and saying she would do anything to be involved and suggesting herself for the roles of Mary Jackson and Dorothy Vaughan. Viola Davis would instead take the lead role in Fences opposite Denzel Washington, reviving the role from the 2010 Broadway revival that had won her a Tony Award. Davis would also go on to win the Best Supporting Actress Academy Award for the role. Then fresh from her lead role in the TV series Empire, Taraji P. Henson was announced to play Catherine Goebel Johnson in February 2016, with Octavia Spencer announced a week later as Dorothy Vaughan. Kevin Costner was cast at the start of March as the fictional Al Harrison, and I'm going to come back to what's fact and fiction in this movie in a bit, with Janelle Monet announced as Mary Jackson a week later. Monet had recently rapped on Moonlight. Kirsten Dunst was announced a few days later, as was Mahershala Ali, also coming from Moonlight and Glenn Powell. Principal photography started pretty much imminently that same March, so that gives you an idea of how tight the timescales were on this movie. We're talking days between Dunst, Ali and Powell being announced to then potentially on filming. Filming took place on the campus of Morehouse College in Atlanta, a historically black college which has the likes of Martin Luther King, Spike Lee and Samuel L. Jackson as notable alumni. Their mathematics professor, Rudy L. Horn, was brought in to be the on-set mathematician. Filming also took place at Lockheed Martin Aeronautics at Dobbins Air Reserve Base. And while historical accuracy was as important as mathematical accuracy, some events were changed and overall there are parts of the movie that simply wouldn't work without some embellishment. For example, Johnson, Vaughan and Jackson weren't close friends. This was made up for the movie in order to give a clear sense of narrative and an emotional core. Catherine Johnson actually carpooled into work with her neighbour Eunice Smith. In reality, Johnson started working at NASA, then NACA, the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, in 1953. Dorothy Vaughan had been working as a mathematician and programmer for NACA in 1943. She was already a supervisor, having been promoted in 1949. 
She was the first black supervisor, but by 1958, when NACA became NASA, segregated facilities had been abolished. Racially and gender-integrated work groups were already commonplace. Mary Jackson started working for the NACA in 1951, and it was in 1953 that she, rather than Katherine Johnson, struggled to find the bathroom for black women while on temporary assignment in the East Area, as few black people worked in the area at the time. When asked, Katherine Johnson was unaware that bathrooms at Langley had been segregated because she always used the whites-only bathrooms. By all accounts, Johnson was ignorant of any segregation rules. She just did her job. Everyone else did theirs. And while segregation was in existence at the time, she mostly ignored it and stated she never felt racial segregation while working at the NACA or NASA. There were no coffee pots solely for black workers. There was no Al Harrison destroying the signs for the black lady's bathroom. Not only did he not exist, nor did the event. It did attract criticism of being a white saviour trope. Al Harrison was loosely based on space task group head Robert Gilruth. But as the timelines differ from reality and the management structures change, Al Harrison was created as a composite character. Similarly, Vivian Mitchell and Paul Stafford, they weren't real people either, but based on several characters Dorothy Vaughan and Katherine Johnson worked with at NASA. Vivian is based off several of the white women in managerial positions and Paul on the men who Katherine Johnson did work with. Much of her early work on trajectories was done with Ted Skipinski, but there was a team of engineers with whom she worked at the time, including Skipinski, John Mayer, Alton Mayo, Al Hammer, and Carl Huss. Kazimierz Kaz Zanecki was a white male mentor to Mary Jackson. Although Kaz was from New Bedford, Massachusetts, the portrayal of Carl Zielinski is quite similar to the actual Kaz Zarnecki in many other aspects, namely his identification of a remarkably neglected talent in Mary and his long-term mentorship of her. NASA participated with 20th Century Fox on the production, providing guidance and advice during the filming and wanted to use the movie as, quote, a springboard for exciting conversations about the history of and diversity at NASA, both past and present, unquote. The vast majority of this story, though, is rooted in truth. These three women did exist. They were integral to the space race, but over a longer period of time. And while dramatic license is always taken on movies based on true stories, John Glenn really did respect Katherine Johnson and Katherine Johnson only to manually check his trajectories. The calculations provided by the electronic computers that were essential to the expedition were manually checked by Katherine Johnson, who was referred to as the girl by John Glenn. She took a day and a half to calculate the output for 11 different variables to eight significant digits before the launch. Her calculations were exactly in line with the computers, which gave John Glenn and everyone else the assurance that the crucial computer program was dependable. Katherine Johnson's work marked a turning point in the competition between the United States and the Soviet Union in space. The only woman alive at the time of the release of Hidden Figures was Katherine Johnson, then 98 and still playing bridge twice a week. Johnson was willing to discuss the movie, but was always steadfast on her experiences of racism at NASA. She would say matter-of-factly, quote, I had a job to do and I knew I was the best person to do it, so I did it, unquote. Johnson and two of her daughters had a private screening of Hidden Figures in Hampton, Virginia. Donna Gigliotti rented out an AMC theatre and Johnson gave the movie her seal of approval. She remained modest until the end, questioning why anyone would want to watch a movie of her just doing her job. And while Johnson seemed oblivious to the massive achievements she and the other black female computers of the NACA and NASA were a part of, 
the producers, cast and crew of this movie knew it. Not only was it released because it was clearly worthy of contention at award season, but after its release, it became apparent that this story was vital to the awareness of STEM, that science, technology, engineering and mathematics fields, and to bring awareness to underprivileged groups of the benefits of education and careers in STEM, most notably women and those of black heritage. Various events were held, including screenings of the movie aimed at encouraging careers in STEM, including screenings hosted by Taraji P. Henson, Octavia Spencer, Janelle Monet, and Jim Parsons, some open to all and others aimed at girls, women, and underprivileged communities. Many of these screenings were free of charge, sponsored by the actors and director Theodore Melfi. Dorothy Vaughan retired from NASA in 1971 and helmed West Computing for nearly a decade. The West Computers made contributions to every area of research at Langley. She became an expert Fortran programmer. She taught programming to other women, and she also contributed to the Scout Launch Vehicle Program. She died on the 10th of November 2008, aged 98, and is survived by four of her six children, 10 grandchildren and 14 great-grandchildren. The Dorothy J. Vaughan Academy of Technology opened in Charlotte, North Carolina in August 2017. The school is inspired by Vaughan's leadership, innovation, creativity, curiosity and love of learning. She was posthumously awarded the Congressional Gold Medal in 2019. Mary Jackson worked as an engineer in several NASA divisions, the Compressibility Research Division, Full-Scale Research Division, High-Speed Aerodynamics Division, and the Subsonic Transonic Aerodynamics Division. She retired from Langley in 1985. Among her many honours were an Apollo Group Achievement Award and being named Langley's Volunteer of the Year in 1976. She died on the 11th of February 2005, aged 83. She was posthumously awarded the Congressional Gold Medal in 2019. Katherine Johnson also helped to calculate the trajectory for the 1969 Apollo 11 flight to the moon and worked on the aborted Apollo 13 mission. She retired in 1986 after 33 years at Langley. Two NASA facilities are named in her honour, the Katherine G. Johnson Computational Research Facility and the Katherine Johnson Independent Verification and Validation Facility. In 2015, she was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, America's highest civilian honour by President Barack Obama, who considered himself a friend of Johnson's. Katherine Johnson died at a retirement home in Newport News on the 24th of February 2020 at the age of 101. She was awarded the Congressional Gold Medal in 2019 and inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 2021. In March 2007, Christine Darden became the first African-American woman at Langley to be promoted into the Senior Executive Service, the top rank in the Federal Civil Service. She retired from NASA as Director of the Office of Strategic Communication and Education and was awarded the Congressional Gold Medal in 2019. She's currently 80 years old. In recognition of all of the women who served as computers, mathematicians and engineers at the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, and the National Aeronautics and Space Administration between the 1930s and the 1970s, a Congressional Gold Medal was awarded to the entire group of women, also in 2019. And speaking of awards, if we are going to talk about the award for being the best of men, which is an awful segue, but I'm going to use it into the obligatory Keanu reference for this episode, which is where I try and make the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves because for the simple reason that he is the best of men and that all men should aspire to be more like Keanu Reeves. And this was actually a really sweet story 
So Keanu Reeves actually once helped a stranded Octavia Spencer after her car broke down on a busy Beverly Hills intersection. This was just after The Matrix came out. So this was Keanu Reeves. And no one would help Octavia Spencer. Cars were beeping at her. And Keanu just comes rolling up on his motorcycle. He helps push the car out of the street. And basically, once Keanu started helping, everyone else who'd previously resisted started helping Octavia Spencer. She was on her way to an audition at the time. This was years before she found fame. But in 2014, she recalled it to Graham Norton on his show. And of course, Keanu helped her because, as I say, he is the best of men. So I previously mentioned the inclusion of Pharrell Williams as a producer. And the majority of the songs were composed and produced by Pharrell Williams. He did these in late 2014 when the production was still in its infancy. The album featured participation from a variety of musicians, primarily female vocalists. But Williams also appeared as the principal artist and supported the female artists on a few tracks. The album was primarily made up of gospel music because obviously the film is set in the 60s. Apart from Williams recording some of the Sono tracks, the album also includes notable performances by Mary J. Blige, Alicia Keys, Lala Hathaway and Janelle Monet. Williams' songs were also used in the score, which was jointly composed by Hans Zimmer, Pharrell Williams and Benjamin Wolfish. And the score consists of gospel music blended with acoustic and electronic music. And as I also mentioned, in order to be eligible for awards season, Hidden Figures' release was bumped up a few weeks from January 2017 to December 2016, where it had a limited release on the 25th of December 2016 in 25 theatres in the US. It opened wide two weeks later on the 6th of January 2017, where it jumped from number 17 in the box office to number one and earned $31.4 million. That's more than its $25 million budget just in that week. Rogue One was also still doing good numbers in its fourth week, but it was at number two. Hidden Figures would stay at number one in its second week, with La La Land biting its heels at second place. It would drop to third place in its fifth week with the release of Split and Triple X Return of Xander Cage, but was still making $22 million that week. And on its $25 million budget, Hidden Figures would gross $169.6 million domestically in the US and $66.3 million internationally for a total worldwide gross of $236 million. It would make a net profit, according to Deadline Hollywood, of $95.55 million, making it one of the top 20 most profitable releases of 2016. And while some critics did find fault with the white saviourness of the narrative in places, the embellishments and the overt, conventionally feel-good style of modern biopics, overall, critically, it was vastly acclaimed with a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Particular praise was aimed at the three main cast members at Henson, Spencer and Monet, who sold every inch of the lavish period piece. And when it came to awards season, Hidden Figures did exceptionally well. It received a total of 73 awards nominations, winning 28 of them. It was up for three Academy Awards for Best Supporting Actress for Octavia Spencer, Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Picture, which it would lose to Moonlight, not La La Land. Because of the involvement of more than two composers producing music for the film, the score was ruled ineligible to be shortlisted for the Best Original Score at the Academy Awards. The screenplay also received a BAFTA nomination. The score by Pharrell Williams, Hans Zimmer and Benjamin Wolfish did get nominated for a Golden Globe, along with Octavia Spencer for Best Supporting Actress. The film's ensemble cast won the Screen Actors Guild Award for Outstanding Performance by a Cast in a Motion Picture. 
The score would also be nominated for two Grammy Awards for Best Compilation Soundtrack for Visual Media and Best Score Soundtrack for Visual Media. But of course, because this is a true story, there are no sequels. And because this is a great version of this story, I highly doubt this will ever be remade. So I'm just going to move straight on to social media thoughts. And I like to ask on Patreon, and I also like to ask across social media, what people think of the movie that I'm featuring. We're going to start with the patrons, and just the one patron this week. The first comment is from Ali, who says, The Space Race is one of those events in recent history that you believe you must know everything about. Then Hidden Figures comes along and knocks it out of the park with an incredible true story of the black female maths geniuses behind it all. It is feel-good, well-made, fun, rewatchable, and humbling, and reminds us that so many events in history are only told from a white and male perspective. Moving over to Twitter, we have at Clovo16, who said, This is one of those movies where I take something new in every time I watch it. At Real Hunter MMM said, Loved it. I knew it was designed to push all the right buttons. Yet, despite that being transparent and according to Wiki having some historical liberties taken, I still thought it was ace. At Bearded Rhino 15 said, Showed this to my nine-year-old daughter and she loved it. Learning history not only of NASA, but also how the world looked at people of colour back then and how they could start to change. The at NASA we all pee the same colour line has stuck with her and helped teach a valuable lesson. At M. Higgs said, classic trailer. I'm always thinking about her running from building to building. At Replus underscore club said, my wife and I went to a screen and scene when Odeon still did it. And it was this. Hadn't heard of it, didn't know what to expect, but both said it was one of the best films we'd seen that year in a year of superb films. Fascinating story, fantastic cast. It was a great surprise. And at Thief CGT said, it's not a bad film and it's well acted. However, I usually have issues with modern-day biopics that change events with the intention of elevating the main characters at the expense of others, especially when the real story was good anyway, and there was no need to change stuff. No comments on Instagram or Facebook, but, well, it's very rare that we get comments on Instagram and Facebook, but huge thank you to everyone for your comments on Hidden Figures, and as always, if you want your comments read out in episodes, then... Have a look at the thoughts posts that go up on social media. It's normally on a Friday and it's for the next week's episode. So if you do see it, pop a comment on that post and I will read it out. And if you need to know where I am, it's at Rebel Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, etc. Loads of places. You can't help but walk away from hidden figures feeling an immense sense of pride towards these incredible women, as well as a sincere sense of regret and anger that their stories weren't told as often or as widespread as they should have been. And while not intentional, stories of black excellence aren't as commonplace as they should be, and we all need to work to right that wrong. While this movie isn't completely factual and parts of it were made up using artistic license, the argument that greatness deserves acknowledgement makes the inaccuracies kind of mute. I would rather they embellish the story a little to give us movies like this where the root story is based in truth than never to make it at all. This movie is a testament to those outstanding African-American women, but not only to them, to Margot Lee Shetterly, a woman who found an incredible story that had to be told, to Donna Gigliotti, a woman who wants to highlight women's stories, and to the men who embrace women's history, like Theodore Melfi and Pharrell Williams. We still live in a world where we need the support of men to make these stories a reality. In a very white, male-dominated Hollywood system, 
slowly the tides are turning, but they're not turning fast enough. We need to help push those tides. The issues the black community face are sadly still relevant today, including workplace discrimination and the experience of having accomplishments diminished in favour of their white counterparts. This may be an oversimplified version of the story, but if it weren't for the tenacity and strength of Catherine Johnson's unwillingness to conform to the rigid structures of segregation, it may very well have ended differently. She was steadfast. She knew her value. And we shouldn't diminish women who do. These women had everything against them, their gender, the colour of their skin, and yet they proved that their quiet, unsung heroism would change the future of space travel. With racial divisions widening in the US, rampant misogyny, and women's rights also in peril, we need movies like this, an upbeat true story, a plea for true equality, a mass-market crowd-pleaser that doesn't reduce the fact that it has a clear moral and emotional payoff. Hidden Figures introduces the viewer to actual people that you might have wished you knew more about sooner. It also makes you angry at how injustice continues and grateful to those who have the courage to fight back. If this movie encourages more women, and specifically women of colour, into STEM education and careers, its legacy will come full circle. Just like John Glenn's pioneering inaugural orbit of the Earth in Friendship 7 in February 1962, an orbit that would never have happened without Katherine Johnson. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Hidden Figures. And if you do want to get involved and help this podcast grow, well, you're doing it just by listening. So thank you so much. But if you want to get involved even more, you could do something like leave a rating or review. Ideally, a very positive one on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or Spotify or wherever you found this podcast. Because by leaving a rating or review, especially a highly positive one, it could encourage other people to listen to this podcast. You could also do something like retweet or like posts on social media. As I said, I am at Verbal Diorama. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Letterboxd, or wherever you find social media. Or you can simply tell your friends and family about this podcast, especially if they're a fan of Hidden Figures. There are 203 other episodes of this podcast that, personally, and I guess I'm a little biased, but I think they're well worthy of your time. If you like this episode on Hidden Figures, you might also like. Now, Usually at this point, I would recommend other episodes that I've done or the movies that I've done. And in all honesty, I've not really done any biopics or true stories or stories about black history. And that's on me. And it's something that I do desperately want to change about this podcast. I don't want this podcast to be one of those podcasts that purely talks about white stories, about white people, about white dudes. Well, I'm not a white dude for a start, but. It is really important that we all take a moment to seek out black stories, seek out stories from people of colour. And this is something that I also need to work on as well. And while I've not done an episode on it yet, I would personally recommend you search out a movie called Black Klansman because that is also a terrific true story as well. But we all have a responsibility to hunt out these stories and to elevate these stories because these are the stories that just simply don't get told because they're not white stories. As always, give me feedback on this episode or on the recommendation for Black Klansman. Uh, did I get it right? Well, yes, because Black Klansman is an excellent movie and so is Hidden Figures. Next episode. So again, I'm going to be focusing on women and specifically more women of colour in the next episode as well. It's going to be the first, but certainly not the last appearance on this podcast for Jennifer Lopez. This was one of her finest performances. It was once she was seriously touted to be Oscar nominated. She wasn't, 
But that takes nothing away from her performance alongside a stellar and diverse group of women. Based on a true story, an article from New York Magazine, a group of strippers band together to steal money from the privileged rich men who visit their club. Hustlers is next on Verbal Diorama. And not only is it another female-based true story, it's another period piece. And again, stars a character called Dorothy. This is a theme. <laughs> the next, next episode, unfortunately, I don't think, features a character called Dorothy. But there's been a lot of Dorothys on Verbal Diorama recently. We've had The Wizard of Oz. We've had Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. We've had hidden figures and we're going to have hustlers, lots of characters called Dorothy on this podcast. And as I said, just by listening, you are supporting this podcast. But if you do want to help support this podcast financially, you can at verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon. Huge thank you, as always, to the amazing patrons of Verbal Diorama, to Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Vern, Kat, Andy, Mike, Luke, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Ian, Lisa, Sam, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, Sonny, Drew, Nicholas, Zoe, Kev, Pete, Heather, Danny, Ali, Tyler, Stu, Brett, and Philip. It's equal rights. I have the right to see fine in every patron. I have a merch store. It's verbaldiorama.com slash merch. You can get in touch with me. You can email verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can say hi. You can give me feedback. You can even give me suggestions if you like. Or you can pop over to verbaldiorama.com. And you can also find my work at filmstories.co.uk. You can find issues of the magazine that I write for. Also online articles as well. And finally... Pastor mentioned you're a computer at NASA. <laughs> pretty heady stuff. Yes, it is. They let women handle that sort of... That's not what I mean. What do you mean? I'm just surprised it's something so taxing. Mm -hmm. Mr. Johnson, if I were you, I'd quit talking right now. I mean no disrespect. I will have you know, I was the first Negro female student at West Virginia University Graduate School. On any given day, I analyze the barometer levels for air displacement, friction, and velocity and compute over 10,000 calculations by hand. So yes, they let women do some things at NASA, Mr. Johnson. And it's not because we wear skirts. It's because we wear glasses. Bye. Blue vision of the